Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, guys, I'd like you to turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, okay? Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 9 through 13 today. We're just going to focus on a few verses because there's actually quite a lot in these verses. And what we're going to talk about is, is a lot of Bibles will list this as the marks of true Christianity, of what it is to truly be a believer. This is the marks of what it is to really follow after Jesus. And it kind of fits with where Paul's been going in his progression here. So let me kind of remind you, his progression through the book of Romans, he starts out talking about that the just shall live by faith. Verse 17 of chapter 1, that's reality. You and I are going to live by faith. Then he goes on from that and expresses why that's true, because he shows us that all of the world is condemned. Chapters 1, verse 18, through the midway through chapters 3. He then goes on and talks about the, the reality of how we are justified. We're justified by our faith. We're accepted. We're reconciled with him. He then goes on with there and talks about us being spirit-filled people and about what we should be doing with our lives. He pauses for a moment and talks about the struggle that we have that is within us because we inhabit a body of flesh and we, even though we're saved and we're justified and accepted, there is a battle that's going on within us. We know that. He then talks about God's sovereignty through chapters 9 through 11. Then we get to chapter 12 and he really says, because of all of what I've just talked about, he says to you, you need to present yourselves a living sacrifice. You need to give yourself to God daily. And, and we realize that, okay? And, and hopefully you've made that decision. Lord, here I am. I'm yours today. But and here's what he does. So the next step in that is as you give yourself, he's saying to you, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So become a different person through God's word as he changes you from the inside out. Don't just do whatever the world's doing. And so beyond that, he then talks about the first thing is realize that you're part of a body. You're part of a church. And everybody in the church is needed. And each of you is gifted to use your gifts within a church. The gifts aren't for you to use for yourself. They're for you to use within the body of believers. And so we talked about that last week. So now he's going to get into what a lot of scriptures will have a heading, the marks of a true Christian. He's going to talk about how we're supposed to be with each other in the church, how we're supposed to be acting towards each other, but also not just within the church, but outside of the church. And so that's why I've kind of divided this section into two parts. We're going to look at verses 13 through 19 today. I'm going to call it the first part because he's going to talk about towards each other. What's real faith mean towards each other? Next week, we're going to get into the whole issue of everybody else and even your enemies. You do have enemies, right? And he tells you how you're supposed to act towards them. We'll look at that next week. 
But today, we're going to focus on what we need to focus on today. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem, because as I was reading this passage this week, I realized that the world has crept in. What do you mean the world has crept in? We're about to hear him tell us to do certain things, but the world's thinking, the world's way has crept in even into God's word. What do you mean? Because a lot of what he's going to talk about today, can I be honest with you, has been politicized. What do you mean? He's getting ready to tell you how you and I are to be every day in our actions towards each other. But some of the things that he's telling you here, you could easily say, well, I'm doing that because I'm not doing this based on how the world has been politicized. That's not even what he's talking about. And if that's the, what you're thinking, you're probably in trouble because you're missing out on the greater point. You can't check that box off when he tells you to do certain things here because he wants you to go deeper than whether or not you're functioning properly, proper in our society. He's talking about how you need to be as a believer who's what? Given your life to him, who's being transformed by the word of God, and now that's expressed in a body of believers where you're using your gifts, how you function with each other. So let's look at what he's saying here. You'll see what I'm saying as we go along, okay? So look with me at verse 9. He says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this section, and I'm going to give you eight things that he's talking about here specifically. Eight things that need to be manifested in your life. Eight things that the Spirit will empower you to do. He will give you the ability to do them. Because some of them are just going to be flat out hard. Some of them, he's just going to tell you that this is what needs to be reflected in your actions towards each other. Period. In fact, there's a reason why he tells you to do these things. And the reason why this needs to be evident in your actions towards each other as believers. Because this is what Jesus tells us. By this shall they know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. And love for one another isn't just saying, oh, I love you. Love is in action. Love is in how we treat each other, how we live together. This is the reality, and we're going to see that here with these eight things. And some of them are pretty obvious, and some of them we can think the way the world thinks about them, but here's what I want you to see about them that comes out of God's Word. So here's the first one, okay? Look with me at verse 9. He says, verse 9, let love be genuine. What's he talking about here? Well, your love has to be sincere. He's talking about you and I having a sincere love for each other. Because let's be honest, even love can be co-opted. 
Even love can become selfish. Is that not true? You can be loving towards someone because you want something from someone. Have you not seen that? Have you not faced the reality of that? You could communicate love in a certain way and, oh, I love you, but the reality is you get away from that person, you can tell love or whether or not it's true or not by what they say about that person later on, right? Love can be hypocritical sometimes. That's the way the world acts, right? But what he's talking about here is if we're going to show love for one another, by the way, remember what Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you what? Love one another. I just was reading through in my personal devotional times through 1 John. Again, it's reiterated over and over in that letter about the love that we need to have for each other, that that's the commandment. Second John saying the same thing. The reality he's saying here is if we're going to love one another, it needs to be what? Sincere. Genuine. That's the first mark. Have you noticed something here? The very first thing he starts off with what you and I should be doing, he starts off with loving each other. Love. Let it be genuine. Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting that that's the foremost thing that should be coming out of believers today is love. Genuinely caring for each other. And he's going to express that a little bit further as we go on. So then here's what he says. Look with me to the next part. And this is the one that gets co-opted. What do you mean? I've heard this verse quoted, but oftentimes I've heard it quoted within those who have a political focus. He says this, abhor what is evil. I've heard that verse quoted so many times today with regards to political things about us taking a stand against the culture and being in a culture war. Abhor what is evil. And the reality is, is you can hear that and listen to that over and over again, and you can be saying to yourself, yes, I'm doing that. I'm abhorring what is evil because I'm against the culture. You know what? That's only a minute component. And if that's what you reduce the commandment down to, you're missing the point. Because it's not talking about you engaging with the culture. It's talking about you in the midst of God's people. So here's what I want you to see. Here's it is. You have to actively choose to hate every form of evil. The word abhor there is the concept of hating. You've got to choose to hate every form of evil. Now, can I be honest with you? Every form of evil just doesn't include that which you don't like in culture. Every form of evil, can I tell you, is every type of sin. That's what evil is, right? Evil is every type of sin. Evil is when you're treating somebody wrongly. That's evil. And can Christians do that? Believe me, we can, right? Evil is every selfish act. You and I have to begin to hate what is evil. Now, why is that important? Why is that important when you talk about the, when we're acting towards each other? Because Paul makes it clear in several of his other letters that the toleration of sin only weakens what? The church weakens each other when we begin to just tolerate sin and evil in our midst. 
Now the problem is, is we, can, we live in a culture now, in a Christian culture, where, where what we're thinking of is that's only in terms of our confronting the culture. You know what, if that's it, again, you are so missing it. Because he's calling us to be different, to hate what is evil within our own midst. To not tolerate it. Do you understand? It's about you hating your own sin. It's interesting, when you read the Puritans, the Puritan writers. Now, who are the Puritans, George? Well, you guys know who the pilgrims are, right? We're going to be here in a couple months celebrating Thanksgiving, and you'll remember the story of the pilgrims coming over from England. They were a part of a group called the Puritans. The Puritans were a, a group, a denominational or a focus group in movement in England at the time, and they held very much, there was a lot of good scholarship that came out of it, but a lot of things that they would talk about is the reality that we needed to what? Hate our own sin. We need to hate our own sin. And I think we can relate to that, right? What do you mean? All right, stop for a moment. I don't need to know what it is, but I want you to think about the one thing that constantly trips you up, that constantly defeats you spiritually. Tell me if you don't hate it. That's hating evil. And he's telling you to abhor what is evil, every form of it in your life. Because that's necessary for all of us to be together. Here's the second, third thing he tells us here. It goes right next with that, of course, abhor what is evil. Look at what he tells you then, verse 9. And hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. So you must hold fast to what's good in your life. Get away from the evil. Hold fast to what's good. Hold fast to those things that are proper. Hold fast to those things that are going to help and benefit you spiritually, but also benefit the body. Your focus is not on whatever you want to do and getting your own right. That's, that's evil. Your focus needs to be on outward towards each other, on doing what's right and what's good. That's where it needs to be. You must hold fast to that because it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? See, the whole concept of holding fast is the reality that you have to make a choice to do this because it's so easy if you're not actively pursuing what's good in your life that you're just going to end up doing what? Wrong sinning. You've got to actively start pursuing what's good in your life. And, but here's the problem. I'll talk about me. You know, I'm, I'm lazy sometimes when it comes to my spiritual life. I, I hate to say that, but I mean, it's, it's reality. Sometimes I'm just lazy. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I think I'm just going to coast today. I'm doing well. I'm seeing God answering prayer. I'm connecting with him. I'm just going to coast today. You know what? It doesn't go good coasting, does it? I'm reminded of the story from Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim is making his way to the next place that he needs to be. He's got a scroll in his hand, and he's told to journey until he gets there. Don't stop. But he comes to a plateau on top of a hill or a mountain. And he decides, man, this looks really good. I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to take it easy. And so guess what? He nods off. And while he's nodding off, he loses grip on the scroll, and it rolls down the hill. 
And he's got a bigger problem now because he's got to leave the path to get his scroll, which only leads to more problems. See, this is the reality. You, I have to hold fast. Actively seek what? To what? Hold on to what's good and do what's good because if we don't, we drift back into the thing that we hate. We drift back into the evil. It's the fourth thing now. Let's take a look at it here. We're going to see it now. In verse 10. And so here's what he tells you. Again, it kind of reiterates what he was saying about love being genuine in verse 9. He says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, it's interesting that he uses that term brotherly affection. So he's telling you how to be. It's kind of like this. So here's what I want you to see. Here's the fourth point. Love your fellow believers as brothers would love each other. As brothers would love each other. Now, I thought about that. You know, I I love my brother's dead now. He's been dead for a while. Died at 38 of a heart attack. I love him dearly. I miss him. But I'll be honest with you. We loved each other, but we sure did not get along with each other sometimes too. But that's brothers, right? Right? You know, when you're with believers here, you're supposed to love each other as what? Brothers and sisters. Now, do we sometimes have disagreements? Do we sometimes not agree with each other? Yeah. But the reality is, is that in what, what we're reminded of, it's still my brother. Right? He's still my brother. And, and can be honest with you, folks, we need to ca- adopt that same kind of attitude. He's still a fellow believer. It's my brother and sister in Christ. And I think I'm going to get away from them here, but the reality is there's something called eternity, right? This is the reality. Love each other with a brotherly love. Be there for each other. I've noticed that sometimes with families when I see them, is that even when they're in the midst of maybe having a little spat between each other, but as soon as some sort of crisis happened... They set aside their what? Their difficulties, and they were there for each other when what? When they were going through the crisis. That's love, isn't it? And that's the kind of love that he's talking about here with you and I. Not just to be genuine, but to be the kind of love that we are brotherly towards each other. In fact, he's going to take it one step further. This one's even going to be harder. This is the one that we really co-op because it's like, are you serious, George? Is he really saying that? Well, look with me, verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor? What's he talking about, George? I need to outdo you in showing you honor. Here's what it is. Here's the point I want you to see. Put the needs of others before your own. Now that is so countercultural. What do you mean? The culture tells you, look out for yourself, baby, because nobody else is going to look out for you. Isn't that the thinking today in this world? That if you don't look out for yourself, if you don't do it for yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you. That's what the world says. But in this instance, he's saying to you, outdo each other in showing each other honor. 
outdo each other in showing each other honor. In fact, this is a reiteration of a point he made in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the reality. You are to count others as being more important than you. Wow, that is so countercultural because in our culture, the only one that's important is what? You, right? But in the church, he said, if we're going to be functioning towards each other, I need to put you before myself. That's crazy, George. No. That's Christianity. That's biblical faith. That's what it means to be a believer. So when you have that going on, then Jesus' words come to meaning, don't they? By this shall they know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. Because you're putting others before yourself. Well, man, George, if I do that, who's going to take care of me? Don't you trust the God who belongs to you to take care of you? When you and I express that kind of worldly thinking, we're leaving who out of the picture? God, who said he would meet your every need, right? And he's telling us, honor others, outdo yourselves in honoring each other. Wow, that's kind of radical, but that's what he's calling us to. So then notice with me, here's how he tells you and I to approach each day. Verse 12, he's telling us three things here. Verse 12, look at what he says with each other. Here's what it is. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, what's he saying here? Here it is. You must approach every day with joy, patience, and prayer. Joy. Joy and hope. What hope? You and I can have joy each day. Well, you'd say, oh, George, you don't really know what I'm going through right now. You don't know the difficulties I have. I had the doctor tell me this, and I'm going through this, and I got this bill coming in, and I'm really under it, and I got this problem going on in this relationship, and it doesn't seem like it's going nowhere, and it's terrible. How in the world do you expect me to have joy in that? You have to have joy not in your circumstances. You have to have joy in your hope. And what's your hope? Jesus. And what's ultimately coming. You can have joy today in your hope. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to have joy. Even though the world is turning upside down. And folks, when you watch the news, it's turning upside down. Okay, we can acknowledge that, right? But you can have joy in hope. In hope. Here's the other thing he tells us. This is the one that really is hard. He said, be patient in tribulation. Now, what is tribulation, George? Well, it's not talking about the great tribulation later on, so push that out of your mind. Tribulation here is talking about difficult circumstances and problems you're facing. 
Now, tell me something. How do you normally react when you got a problem going on? Don't tell me. I'll tell you how I am. Okay? So it, I'll give you an example. So like this morning, I'm, I'm decided I'm going to do soft-boiled eggs. Okay? Lori is cooking these wonderful muffins in the oven. So my routine, I don't, again, I'm only thinking about myself. I'm not putting others before myself. It's all about me, okay? So, so I go there, and I got my waters boiling. I put my eggs in, and I go to set the timer, and I'm not paying attention to the timer. I hit timer, and I realize I canceled the timer for those muffins in the oven. So this is how George reacts to the tribulation that I've just created. Oh, my goodness! And everybody else is freaking out. Like, what did I do? Did I did you get hot water on me? What did I do? That's how I react. I don't show any patience. Okay? How do you react with problems? Are you a cool as a cucumber? Or are you expressive? Or are you a simmering pot ready to boil over? He's telling you here not just to be, have joy and hope, but to have what? Patience in tribulation. Patience as you endure. Patience as you go through it. Why? Go back to the first one. Because you have a what? A hope that you have joy in. You have patience. Even though the world is turning upside down and the house is collapsing around you, you have patience in the midst of what you're going through because you have who? The Lord. But then he tells you the third thing. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Prayer needs to be a part of your life. It's interesting, I was reading a book yesterday about prayer in the church, and the guy was going through the history of prayer, and he made this observation. Uh, Miller is his last name who wrote the book. He made this observation that up until about 50 years ago, prayer was the central focus of churches. Prayer is no longer the central focus of churches, it's the afterthought. And he talked about how in the early church, even up through the centuries, that people, when they said they would go to church and when they would describe going to church, he said it's even true today of Arabic churches, that when you talk to somebody who says they're going to church, they say, we're going to prayer. We're going to prayer. That the focus of the church was what? Communing and talking with God. So here he is, he's talking about you and I. Have what? Joy and hope, patience and tribulation, but what? Be constant in your prayer. And prayer isn't just some religious exercise, folks. Prayer is what? Talking with God, communicating with God, connecting with God, meeting with Him. And this is what we need to be. This is what you need to be. In fact, Paul would say it, pray without ceasing in another letter. That is, interacting with him throughout the day. Constant in prayer. All right, so then let's go on. Here's, here's the next one I want you to show, show you. And, and that is really the last thing here. Oh, I missed one. This is really, I missed one. It was verse 11. I can't miss this one because this is good, okay? Look at what he says, verse 11. Sorry, it must be 
the morning. Okay, I didn't have enough tea. All right, here's what it is. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. Don't be lazy, rather be spirit-filled in your service to the Lord. He's talking here now. This is a primary thing for you and I is don't be slothful. You know what a sloth is, right? It, it kind of, I see them all the time in these different animated movies. Oh, like the sloth who's going real slow. And, you know, and it's like taking him, like the guy who's, I thought whoever did this, uh, Zootopia, was, I guess it was, and there's a scene of the animal goes into some bureaucracy and it's run by sloths. And they're trying to do one key at a time and it's like man that is so real today when you go to a government office right and, and so that's a slothful don't be slothful in your zeal but be what be fervent in the spirit be spirit led what does he say serve the lord don't get lazy in your christian life but be spirit filled people who are what serving the lord that's what we need to be with each other. So then that brings us to verse 13 now. So I get back in order now, okay? Verse 13, here's what he says. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek hospitality. Here's what I want you to see. Be hospitable as you meet the needs of other believers around you. Now, we kind of got into the giving and offering thing this morning in Sunday school. We're going through Malachi. And it's interesting that in the Old Testament, there are very definite uh, commands about Israel and their giving, about giving to the temple and so forth. However, when you get to the New Testament, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, <clears throat> there, there aren't those commands. But there are some kind of commands when it comes to giving. Well, okay, I understand. We got the offering, George, and I know it. No, 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 you're misunderstanding me. You've listened to somebody else. There are commands in, this, in, this, in the New Testament about giving. You want to know what they are? Give to help each other. Do you understand? Give to help each other. Be sensitive to the needs around you. And when you realize that that's what the commands are, then Acts chapter 2 makes complete sense. That they held all things in common and they gave to needs around them is what the ch early church did. Is that when they saw the needs around them, they gave to meet the needs within their own body. And so here he's telling you, as we function towards each other, he's saying you need to be hospitable. You need to be willing to be hospitable to people around you. Now, in our culture, hospitality, we, we, we don't really know what that is, but that's really important in their culture and a lot of cultures around the world. But primarily is that you meet the needs of others. God will lay on your heart. I know that he does this. It's your choice of whether you're obedient to his leading or not. He will lay on your heart, help them out. Take care of this for them. But some of us will say, well, I can't do that. If I do that, then, then what are you going to do for me, Lord? 
It's interesting. I'm reminded of a story that I read long ago in a biography of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. He was preparing himself for the reality of going to China, and he worked as an, a medical doctor's assistant so that he could learn the medical arts so he would go over and use that in his mission work. And one night he was called to help a struggling Irishman whose wife was in really a really bad way. And he went and took care of her and he knew that she needed some medicine. And he said to this struggling Irish worker there in, in England that he needed to go. But the fact is the guy didn't have any money. And in his pocket he had the money. But that's all the money he had and that was what he needed to pay his own rent. And so as he's talking to this Irishman who has nothing, but he's telling him that you need this medicine for your wife, he's holding, holding that coin in his pocket, struggling with, do I help this guy out to help his wife with her medical needs because I've got my own needs. And finally he gave that crown, that's what they called the coin, to the Irishman so he can get medicine for his wife. And he went home without any rent. But what did he do? He held on in faith to God that God would take care of him. And when he got home, there was a letter from his employer with a check for the money that he needed saying, hey, I forgot to pay you. Here's your pay. God took care of him. What an illustration, isn't it? He's talking about real faith here. And remember, the just shall live by faith. Chapter 1, verse 17. And he's talking about how we are to be with each other. And what he's saying is, is you be hospitable. And what? Meet the needs of others around you. But that kind of makes sense, right? Because didn't he start off with the very first thing? Let your love be genuine. Let it be sincere. Love each other with what? A brotherly love. Abhor what is evil. What? Hold fast to what is good. That's what he's calling us to. It's easy to let the world mold our thinking and to think that somebody else is fighting the battles for me. He's not, you know what? You can hang out there if you want, but there's a bigger battle going on right in your own life, and that's the battle of whether or not you're going to be who God really wants you to be. And be the person that he's called you to be, who genuinely loves people, who hates evil in his own life, holds on to what is good, shows brotherly love to the brethren and the sister and the church, who's pursuing God with a joy that comes because of the hope that he has. Therefore, he's what? Patient in tribulation. And he's constantly praying, talking to the Lord. And therefore, when needs appear in front of him that the brothers and sisters around him might have that he can help with, guess what he does? or she does. They're hospitable. They do what they need to do. 
Now the question for you and I as we wrap this up, so let's wrap this up. What are we going to do with this? That's really the question, right? When you bring it down to that level, the decision now is, is what do I do with this in my life? What do you do with it in your life? Let me pray for you.